Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading at verse 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Very familiar um, passage of scripture. But I want to draw some things out that just kind of grabbed my attention as I was reading this week. And something that was stirred on my heart. So Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. Notice what it said. It said, and after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at, at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him, gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their, scribe, and, the, and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What a religious spirit. Look at that. What are you doing with those people? What are you doing talking to them? Let me keep reading. Verse 31. Jesus answered. And you know what gets me about that? Notice it said, it said he complained against his disciples. Why didn't they go to Jesus? Anyway. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm going to stop right there. And I want to talk to you just for a few moments on this particular story and this passage of text. Many of you know, if you've been in church, maybe you hadn't any length of time for those that may have been. And if you haven't, that's okay. Because we love everybody here and we welcome everybody here. I'm praying that we have people here that hadn't been in church. <laughs> but oftentimes through the scriptures and the teachings and writings of the Bible, symbolism is used a lot. And what I mean by that, different sometimes objects or different symbols or icons are used to help convey certain message. Even Jesus himself throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation is often uh, multiple symbols are, are used to describe some of the thing who he was or the things he accomplished or the things that he done. For instance, he was referred to as the Lamb of God that takes away our sin. I don't have to, time to just dig into that or what that means, but he was referred to a lamb because lambs in the Old Testament were what were given for sacrifices for the for the covering or the atonement of, of the sins of the people. But what's awesome to me also that not only was Jesus referred to as a the Lamb of God, but he was also referred to our great and our chief shepherd. And oftentimes when these typologies or symbolisms are used, they're, they're designed to help us paint a picture to get a greater understanding of the heart or character of that individual. I was reading a story one time about a Sunday school teacher who 
was teaching on this very thing. She wanted to get into the mind of all the Sunday school children the importance of some of Jesus' sayings. And he said, so she said, I'm going to give you guys a few sayings. And what I want you to do next week when you come in, I want you to bring in an illustration that will be, that will be symbolic of one of the sayings of Jesus that I've given you. And so next week they came into Sunday school classroom and the first uh, little kid walked up and said, I want to be first. And she said, go ahead. And he brought in a glass of water and she looked to the kid and said, what does this glass of water mean? Well, the Bible, Jesus said to me, I will give you living water. So it represents living water. And then another little child came up and he brought a piece of bread. And she said, well, you have bread. Tell me what that means. And, she said, and the little ch kid said, well, this represents that Jesus is the bread of life. And then there was a nice little girl who walked in and she had a little pink pillow. And she stood and she handed it to the teacher and she said, well, sweetie, what does that mean? And she said, well, it's a pillow because Jesus said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. And then there was little little Johnny, one who who was last. And Johnny always had the, 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 the tendency to be the one that disrupt things in the Sunday school class. But he was excited about participating in this particular project. So little Johnny walks up with his hand behind his back. And then he turns and he sticks out. And there in his hand, he held an egg. Well, to the amazement of the teacher, she kind of stood back and paused for a minute. Puzzled in her mind, she said, an egg? Of all things, an egg. And she said, well, Johnny, I have to be honest. I don't quite understand the point you're trying to make. I, I'm thinking all through the Bible, but I don't know what it is that refers to an egg that has to do with Jesus. And Johnny said, oh, yeah, it does. And he walks over to the front row of the classroom to a little girl. He takes the egg, cracks it on her head, and says, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. <laughs> but my point is this right here. It, it was just little Johnny. That was his way of showing some symbolism or, or typology of, of what Jesus meant to him. And in this particular text and story this morning, it is one of these cases where Jesus once again in this place, he's not the bread of life. He's not the pillow, pillow to give rest. He's not the glass of water for living water. He's not the egg, which is take my yoke upon you. But this particular text refers to him as a physician and a doctor. And what, uh, what is awesome about this particular text is when I think about a doctor and I think about a physician, there was a several things that came to my mind because any, any good doctor, any good physician, as, as you know as well as I do, there's a several characteristics. They always have an interest in the genuine health or betterment of people. How many of you would agree to that, real doctors? But also a genuine physician or a doctor, when you go to an appointment, he always gives you some type of instructions. Uh, oftentimes it may be a prescription or it may be practical things. Instructions on what to do. Take two of these uh, twice a day or you need to go home and get some rest. He always gives instructions but also a good physician or a good doctor, not only does he have a, a, a huge interest in, the, in, 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 in people and them getting well, not only does he often give instructions but, but he also has always have great intention 
intentions. He intends to do everything for that patient or that person to ensure that they will turn out all right. How many of you believe that? And in this particular text, I want to take those same thoughts because I believe Jesus, our great physician, through this story showed us his interest, his instructions, and his intentions. When you look at the text, the first point I want to draw was I want to talk about his interest. Isn't it funny the scripture said that after these things, after a huge miracle of healing a paralyzed man, the Bible said that Jesus came on as he came out from that, 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 that great move of God and he began to walk. But the Bible said there was someone that caught his eye. The scripture said he saw, did you catch that? He saw Levi who was a tax collector. And what grabbed me of out of all the people that could have been around and out of all the people that were standing in that place, it was a tax collector that caught Jesus' eye. It was a tax collector that he, that, 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 that he became interested in to the point that he would go and engage in conversation. Tax collector, what do you mean by that, Javon? Why is that so important? What you have to understand about tax collectors, tax collectors were selected by Roman officials who would, get, who would actually take the taxes of the citizens, but they would also tax the merchants that would come through the cities. But here's the thing, that was their responsibility. But tax collectors were also considered to be crooks because they would always take more money than they should to pad their pockets and make themselves rich and and wealthy tax collectors uh, uh, what's so funny is uh, what's so unique is when you begin to search the scriptures uh, and check me out on this oftentimes tax collectors or the other term that was used was publicans were always associated with sinners have you you know you hear that term publicans and sinners tax collectors and sinners because of their lifestyle because of the way they did crooked works and because of the way they always cheated people they were considered to be a class that people disregarded, people rejected, people didn't want to have anything to do with them. They were ostracized and alienated, even to the point that they were, they were considered to be a society outside of God's covenant people. And it was also said that they, they were looked at not even worthy to be taught the statutes of God. So when you look at this tax collector, it... it, it, it it doesn't just represent Levi himself, but it represents a type of people, a people that have been rejected, a people that have been looked down upon. People that have been pushed on the outside and, and pushed into a society. And, and when you talk of uh, or describe them, it's those people and them people or that kind or it or them. They were never considered to be any value or worth. But I, what, 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 what I love about a genuine physician because that was the mentality of the society that they were in. But it was to this group of people, of all the people, it wasn't the scribes and the Pharisees. It wasn't the ones that seemingly had everything going on in life. It wasn't the ones that, that, that the people thought that were good and that were okay and that were just great citizens. But it was to this group of people that Jesus was drawn to, Jesus took interest in, Jesus came to. 
to. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to see, when it comes to the interest of our Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it can mess with a religious mind. It can mess with a churchy mind. It can mess with our own mind because he often takes interest, hear me when I say this, in, pe in people that others have deemed insignificant. He takes interest in those who have been left by the wayside. He takes interest in those who have been have told that there'll never be anything in life. He takes interest in those who have been broken, who have been abandoned, who have been left alone. When the world says there's no hope for them, it is him that says there's always hope as long as I'm on the throne. It is to them that he goes to that nobody wants to have any dealings with. Nobody wants to touch. Nobody wants to talk to. Nobody wants to handle. But I'm glad this morning that we have a great physician with a genuine interest, not for the people that got it all together, but the people that are messed up, the people that are broken, the people that are hurting. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that is the world that we live in today. This world is filled with broken, hurting, lost, dying people who are in desperate need of not some judgmental person, not some self-righteous person, not someone that think they have it all together, deceived, but he, this world needs a, a church and a people that will take on the heart of a great physician named Jesus and said, I want to show you the genuine care that is due unto you. You have to understand this. Listen to me. Luke, more than any other gospel writer, details in his writings, Christ's concerns and interests for all those that were considered to be social outcasts and, and, and publicans, and mainly the publicans. Listen to this. In Luke 18, it says, it was a tax collector standing afar off in the temple crying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke chapter 3, tax collectors it was who came to John's baptism. Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus, who was a publican tax collector, is the one Jesus said, I want to go have lunch at your house today. Luke 15, it was tax collectors, the Bible said, that drew near to hear Jesus' words when he began to teach. It was Luke 15, chapter 2, that wrote this words that says, this man receives sinners. It was also in Luke that we find the story of the prodigal or lost son when we had a religious elder brother who pouted and got upset when the father said, I know he strayed away. I know he messed up. I know he went out and did things that he shouldn't do. But the very fact that he came to himself and he's willing to come back to my house, then I'm willing to open my house. I know older religious brother, you count him as a reject, but he's always going to be my son because, oh, his sonship is not determined by the decisions that he made. His sonship is determined by the price I paid on the cross. And I refuse to let an action or a deed keep me from what I know belongs to me understand this outcast by definition is one who is expelled and alienated and rejected by description outcasts are those who have since have a sense of hopelessness guilt and shame those that lack confidence and feel that they're unable to change but it is to these people that Jesus Christ says, I take my greatest interest. It is to them 
that he comes to. Those that feel rejected. I want to talk to people this morning. The thing that was stirred in my heart deeply as I began to read this story. How many people are suffering from rejection? How many people have allowed a spirit of rejection to come upon them due to experiences they had in life? Understand that, that rejection can come in different forms. Sometimes it creeps through the door of, 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 a, of a young child who felt like it never got the attention of a mother or father. Sometimes it creeps through the door of an individual young athlete who felt that he was really athletic and felt that he was really called but yet never got a shot to be on the field or on the court. And so he feels rejected. Or sometimes it can even come through the, the brokenness of a relationship where somebody had walked out that you thought he was the one or you thought she was the one and rejection comes in and now it opens the door to insecurity. Now it opens the door to inferiority. And for some, uh, many, and I can tell you in this day and age, uh, one of the things that many suffer rejection from is a rejection from their father because daddy was never there. Daddy walked out on mama. Daddy never did anything for us. And although the dysfunction was in daddy, they have allowed that to come on them. And the thing about a spirit of rejection is this. A lot of people allow the rejection that they experience to become the identity of who they are. And when you begin to take it on, then you, you there's no sense of confidence in life. And the reality of it is you can look good and you can sound good and you can smell good and you can drive good and you can live in a house that's good, but yet it will creep his head up in any form or fact. The moment you feel like stepping out on faith, it comes to pull you back. The moment you feel that you're ready to go to another level, it tries to pull you back. The moment you think that I can do something I've never done, it comes with its nasty hands and pull you back and say, remember, the last time you did that, they laughed at you. The last time you believed something great, they made fun of you. The last time you did that, you did all that hard work. You did all, all of that stuff staying late but they passed over you and gave the promotion to them well I'm here to declare this morning that we don't have to live under a spirit of rejection I come to serve notice on a spirit of rejection this morning I don't know who I'm talking to this morning but I come this morning with a burden on my heart declaring in Jesus name that every spirit of rejection every mindset of rejection it has to go. I'm going to tell you why it has to go. Because the great physician that I'm talking about this morning, if anybody knows how to deal with rejection, he does. He was rejected as a little baby. They said he had no room for him. He was rejected as a young minister. They said he by his own people. His teachings were rejected. His love was rejected. And my God, when they crucified him, he wasn't even crucified inside the city. They took him on the outside of the city and crucified him. Well, that's okay because he was crucified on the outside so he can bring you and I on the inside. He was despised and rejected so you and I can be loved and accepted. And this morning in Jesus' name, I declare you are accepted in the beloved. You are loved by Jesus. He has chosen you for a great work. In Jesus' name, I feel it. I feel it this morning. You don't 
don't have to be rejected. You don't have to be rejected. You don't have to be rejected. Let me tell you this morning, God's word is the ultimate reality of who we are. I want to get practical for a moment because here's the thing. When those thoughts come, that's why the Bible gives us power. It says, I give you power to pull down strongholds, cast down vain imaginations, pull every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. What does that look like? When the enemy says, you're always going to stay in poverty. What you do, you have to come back with what the word of God says. And you put, notice it said vain imagination. The reason why it's a vain imagination, number one, here's what I got to get you to understand. Vain imaginations don't come from you but they are sent to you. Mm. They're fiery darts of the enemy. They're not your thoughts. They're hell's thoughts. And what you have to do with hell's thoughts, it says that's not what God's word says. You said I'm going to stay in poverty, but the word of God says my God shall supply all of my need. I pull you down and put you under the word. If it's not what God said, it's not true. Can I tell you something? The Bible said that Satan is the father of lies. In other words, anything he says is a lie. He cannot tell the truth. He don't have truth in him. There's no light in him. So whatever he says, you have to know it's the opposite. So if he says you're poor, declare I'm rich. If he says you're sick, declare I'm healed. If he says you're not going to make it, say the devil is a lie. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. You don't have to live a life of rejection. I had to face some of my own securities this week. As I spend time with God. It's the thing about stuff that you pray and the stuff that he lays on your heart. Sometimes it's first to the speaker and I'm okay with that. Face to face with some things that I allowed and didn't realize. Fears. Worried about what someone would say and what someone would think and didn't even know. But I love God because he loves us enough to bring the loving hand of conviction and touch our souls and touch our hearts and say, let me deal with that. You are a child of God. You're accepted in the beloved. I've called you. I've destined you. I got a plan and purpose for your life. Understand that your insecurities and your insufficiencies does not interfere with God's interest in you. I'm going to say it again. Your insecurities and your insufficiencies does not interfere with his interest in you. I'm going to tell you why. Number one, because he majors on mercy. Mercy is translated as the kindness of the Lord, his loving kindness. It is often said mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
Joel 2.13 says, For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great and, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. He prefers kindness over judgment. He prefers kindness over chastening. He prefers kindness over wrath. Isaiah 54 said, But with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord. Not only does he major in mercy, but he also labors with love. Matthew 14 says this, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, the Bible said. He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. And the scripture said he healed their sick. I love this because he labors with love. You know what laboring in love with is compassion because compassion is love in action. Did you get that? He said when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. He said he saw a multitude of people that were lost, that were hurting, that were broken, that was ostracized. But what I love when he said multitudes, he didn't describe what and who. He just said a multitude. And he said, they're all sick. He didn't say anything specific. He didn't say this, that, and the other. Because at that point, he didn't matter. It didn't matter. Because what he didn't see, oh my God, he didn't see just their sickness. He saw him being their solution. Because that's what compassion does. Compassion always looks for a solution. How can I make a difference in that? How can I make a difference in that person's life? How can I make a difference in that situation? And the Bible said he was moved with compassion. And notice the scripture said, and he healed all that were sick. In other words, compassion preceded the miraculous. Some of us want to see miracles. I, I, I do too. And I won't have faith for miracles. But could it be the thing that we need more than anything is hearts that are filled with compassion for people. Maybe if we love a little bit more and maybe if we're kind a little bit more, maybe if we're gentle a little bit more, maybe there is a miracle breakout waiting on a people who will be moved with compassion. thought about an ICU room, an intensive care unit is what they call it. My mind went back to the, 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 the situation that happened several weeks ago in Dallas. As I was watching one of the interviews, it was one of the doctors that were there who were on the scene of that, uh, 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 that, that was one of the main responders when those, law, those police officers were brought into that hospital in critical condition. And this was post, and they were interviewing. And he was an African-American doctor. And they were saying, what, what, what was going on? And to that point, he wasn't fully sure of all the details. And they said, how did you feel in that moment? Realizing what had gone on and taken place as an African-American who, who was now, <laughs> yeah, dealing with an officer that is, doesn't look like you. With an officer that, 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 that has came in right now in a situation. That, but I love what he said. He said at that point, 
He said, nothing matters. He said, he said, color didn't matter. Culture doesn't matter. Status doesn't matter. Position doesn't matter. Because when they come in this room, I have one thing in mind as a doctor. I've got to do everything I need to do to try to get them well. Oh my God, you're not hearing what I'm saying. And maybe that's what we need in the church like never before. We need to be a big ICU unit. But I'm not going to say intensive care. Intensive compassionate unit. That's what we need to be. People of compassion like never before. Notice it said, I see you. I see you when you're hurting. I see you when you're down. I see you when you're lost. I see you when you're in need. I see you when you're struggling. I see you when you're broken. I see you. I see you in that fear. I see you in that depression but I don't just see you because compassion compels me to action and I'm willing to come and be a blessing in the situation not only is he labor in love and he majors in mercy but he also decisively delivers 2 Corinthians says, one, Corinthians 1 and 10, it says, who delivered us from so great of death, listen to this, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Did you catch that? It says, who delivered, and it says, who does deliver, and it said, who will still deliver. In other words, his deliverance is constant. He said, if I have delivered you, it's good in the past. But if you're in a position in the present that you need deliverance, I'll deliver you. And he said, I'm going to go ahead and let you know in advance. If something were to come up down the road, I got you covered. He does deliver. He is delivering and he will deliver. Colossians puts it like this. He has delivered us. From the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his dear son. Delivered us from, but he also brought us to. See, real deliverance is not just bringing you out, but it's also taking you in. He takes you out of sickness to bring you into health. He takes you out of shame to bring you into acceptance. He takes you out of pain to bring you into comfort. He takes you out of fear to bring you into peace. He's not just concerned with just bringing you out. Our God wants to bring you out and also take you in. The wilderness is not for you to stay in. It's the transition place. He saw the promised land when he saw you in Egypt. He had the promised land before you ever got out. And I'm here to tell somebody this morning don't you just settle for just being delivered you have to stand up and say deliverance is great but I want to step into my destiny I want everything that God has for me because he promised me a promised land it's his intentions I mean his his interest. Can I give you a couple more and I'm going to get out of your way? Number two is his instructions. He said, first, 
This is my interest. Number two, this is my instruction. Notice what he said. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all and rose up and followed him. But I want you to see this before we jump on the follow me. Notice he left all, rose up, and followed him. And I wrote it down like this, is, is, is that Levi of all, listen to this, this is what's important. Levi, of all the, 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 uh, the whose, let me just go ahead and say this, whose name was also or transformed to Matthew. This was Matthew. But understand, out of all the disciples, he knew the great price that had to be paid to follow Jesus. Because watch this. When he ch chose to leave the tax collecting business, it secured unemployment. Because once you step away, you were, they never allowed you to return. So when he says, I'm letting it go, he knew that it was permanent. There was no plan B. There was no turning back. But what's different is the other disciples, they still had the option of going back to fishing. But it was to this man that understood the price and the cost it was going to take to follow him. Although gotten by crooked ways, he would leave a lucrative lifestyle and be totally dependent upon the one whom he chose to follow. I'm, I'm amazed because I wonder if the rich young ruler would have got this revelation. Because see, the problem with the rich young ruler is, is, is that the revelation that the tax collector Levi got, he understood that I'm going to let go of a material fortune, but I'm about to grab a hole to a spiritual fortune. And the problem with the rich young ruler was he was more focused on what he had to let go rather than what he was about to grab a hold on to. And we always say, I don't believe that it was just about the riches because it's deeper than that. Because God was more concerned about the condition of his heart than the money in his hand. Good God, are you hearing me? He was after a heart condition. And I wrote it like this, the, 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 the principle that he wanted to get across was I'm after you surrendering the right to rule your own life. I'm rich. I'm a ruler. I got power. I got position. I got prestige. And I'm young. But Jesus said, I'm after you surrendering your right to control your own life. That's why he said, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Notice what he said, deny himself. Because see, I believe you can be rich in not just money. Rich in pride. Rich in arrogance. But the Bible said that he had to be willing to let go. To grab a hold deny yourself sometimes no I'm just going to say it I believe that self is a bigger enemy than Satan 
let me just put it out there. You can cast the devil out, but you can't cast self out. Self has to be died to. Death to self in our selfie age. Self-centeredness. Selfishness. Self-focus. Self-righteous. Some of us have our own trinities. Me, myself, and I. But he said, the thing I have to deal with most, notice, Satan was nowhere in that scripture. He said, if I can get them to die to themselves, that's the greatest miracle that can take place in a believer's life. If you die to yourself. Paul said, I die daily. No longer me that lives, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. Die to yourself. And last but not least, let me wrap it up and let me bring you down to the landing strip. His last thing was his intentions. He said, follow me. In another gospel, he said, and I will make you fishermen of men. I will make you. I will make you. I will make you. I put it like this, listen. <laughs> New birth is a miracle of the moment, but discipleship is over a lifetime. Isn't it funny that Christian is only mentioned three times in the New Testament, but disciple over 300 times. Christians are work in progress, not perfect works. If we'll do the following, He'll do the making. Because I wrote this down for me. We are all in the making. I'm in the making. I don't know about you. You are, whether you want to admit it or not. You're not perfect. You haven't arrived. I know you look good and smell good today, but you still got a little something, something going on down in there. We're all in the making. We all need the blood. We all need Jesus. We all need grace. We all need him. Come on. We all need the anointing. We all need the Holy Ghost. He said, follow me and I'll make you. You can't make yourself. Jesus has to make you. Go and stand to your feet. In Hebrews, he says this. 1321. I will make you complete in every good work. To do my will. I'll work in you. What is well pleasing in my sight. Through Jesus Christ. You know what he said? That word complete. He said I'll equip you. Huh. I'll put in you everything that you need. You won't lack any good thing. When you follow me. And allow me to make you. I know that dream is big. I know that vision is big. I know that business is big. Follow me. I'll make you. I got everything you need to get there. I got everything you need to accomplish that. I'll make you. I'll equip you. I'll pour in. But the question this morning, are you willing to be made? Are you willing to be made?
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.